0: hey hey everybody welcome back to the ring of power hour i'm your host jay hoffman along with me my co-host jrr lonergan he lost the r last week but he is back with
1: two r's in his name how you doing JR? living the dream baby we had a great time doing the old watch party watching the finale with some fans that was a lot of fun
0: that was really cool a small but mighty group we were but uh I really, really enjoyed it. I've never done a watch party on a streaming service. Yeah, me neither. I've been doing this thing where I keep talking with people like, we should do a watch party and then never doing it. And I loved it. I was like, I don't know, chatting through a movie. But it's really fun. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it.
1: It was, especially if we do something that we've seen before because then it's fun to point stuff out for other people and see what they've seen and talked about and what they were doing and things like that. It was, It was a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot of fun.
0: It's going to be really fun because I'm not going to tell you who had all these great theories that were going to act like our Jr. and my theories for this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a lot of speculation going on as the episode went, which, as you've watched the episode, there was a lot of speculation needed because there was some craziness going down.
0: Yes, this season finale of The Ring of Power. We're going to get into it in a minute. Before we do that, we always like to do a little bit of small talk. Jr. besides The Rings of Power, what else is going on?
1: Well, I had been working on a book, kind of on and off for the past year and a half, and I got the first draft finished. I finished the first draft not early this morning, early yesterday morning, so that was nice. What's been going on with you, my friend? Besides chasing kids and all that, and besides watching the
0: Rings of Power, I just watched the new Hellraiser. Nice. How was that? I really liked it. Man, it's dark. But it's just, we got a solid director and an actual budget to a Hellraiser movie, and uh,
1: I really liked it. I think one of the, the wildest things to look back on, like when they were talking about stuff from In Search of Darkness, or I watched the Crystal Lake Memories, the Friday the 13th documentary, and it's always crazy to think about how low the budgets are for blockbuster horror movies, like the more popular Friday the 13th movies still only had a couple million dollars. They were all indie movies. And it's crazy to think about how many movies that we talk about today is, like, greatness. Even The Thing, which is one of my all-time favorite movies and has one of the, you know, some of the greatest special effects ever done, was basically an indie movie, budget-wise. It's insane to think about that where you'll get blockbuster movie that has a huge budget that has no real VFX. They're just paying for the actors. Yeah.
0: Well, and think about this too horror directors who have gone on from being able to work those tiny little budgets to being big budget directors. I'm thinking Sam Raimi, you know, Evil Dead to Spider Man. And I'm thinking Peter Jackson, Dead Alive to Lord of the Rings. Well, you know what? Those horror directors really get to find creative ways to make things work. So, and I think that's what benefited Peter Jackson on the trilogy and you can see his horror roots you know throughout well we always start off with a lot of horror talk being that it's october but what did you think about this episode what did you think about the season finale overall jr
1: there were a few bits that i think went on just a touch too long let me get the gripes out of the way first just a (laughs) just a tiny touch too long to the point where we didn't get any durin and we didn't get any bronwyn and arandir other than that this episode was so awesome Last episode was great and perfectly paced. This episode made me laugh, made me cry, made me scream in terror. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a really good episode. For a finale, they couldn't have done any better, I don't think. I think this was this was greatness.
0: Yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. And I've been thinking about that since we watched it, that we didn't have Bronwyn and Erendir. We didn't find Dor yet. We didn't get any more Durin and... I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? Though, if I think about it, I think their their story kind of ended in an okay place for season one for me. Bronwyn and Aaron Deere are going to Pellar and Durin is splitting with his father, and and we're going to kind of probably get that faction. And Isildur, I think that's going to kick off season
1: two. Yeah, Barrack finding Isildur somewhere. Yeah,
0: and Barrack is uh,
1: his horse. His horsey. <laughs> And
0: obviously that would be a a direct callback to Aragorn and Two Towers, right? That's when he goes over the over the falls. Then his horse finds him.
1: Which also started with a B. I don't remember the horse's name, but I'm pretty sure it also starts with a B.
0: Yeah, somebody will message us and yeah. give us the. You dummies, opening. you screwed this up. <laughs>
1: this was his name.
0: <laughs> so be it. But I I think their stories ended in an okay place for season one. I just think it, if. Feels a little off that it ended in a episode prior to the finale.
1: Right. That was, that was the only thing that was a little weird to me. But not necessarily in a bad way. Like you said, they ended in a good place. And I think that just means that because we actually completely tied up one entire storyline with the Harfoots, where we're not even going to see them anymore, we're just going to be seeing Nori and the Stranger more than likely, because I don't think the Harfoots come back until the actual finale. And then, obviously, we know who Halbrand is now, spoiler alert. We have the three rings of power created, spoiler alert. So a lot of these storylines, I think, are going to take more backseats to Durin and Elrond because obviously there's going to be another ring forged and all the other craziness that accrues from that. And then Galadriel's search for Halbrand and that's going to end up going back to the Southlands. So, I mean, I think a lot of the storylines have centered themselves and there's just going to be less... Points of view, so there's going to be less to cut back and forth to. So I was fine with it. I don't think it was a bad thing. It was just a little disappointing. I like Bronwyn. I like Aaron Deere, and I love Durin. So I really wanted to kind of see how he was taking his uh, nose in the corner, so to speak. Yeah, I
0: think my thoughts are: uh, I really liked this episode. I really liked this season. Now it ended on episode eight, and I think they would have benefited from two more additional episodes. I feel like a few things got a little rushed. They didn't get the last two seasons of Game of Thrones rushed, but they definitely got a little rushed. So for Game of Thrones, I'm, I'm a bit of a defender on, I think the ending makes sense if that ending would have happened two or three seasons later.
1: <laughs> One thing that drives me nuts about the ending was that it was literally like, okay, here's something bad. Okay, this is bad. We're really invested now. Okay, we just hand-waved the bad thing away. I don't even think that this season would have had to been any longer or more seasons. They could have just given us a better story with it. Like I said, I don't think this did that. I think this gave us everything we were supposed to have. And again, I think the visuals and the acting, I think I mentioned this on the watch party, every member of this crew... The cinematography, the sets, the costumes, everything was so gorgeous at all times in this show that if they don't all win every award they could have won for this, it's a travesty because even taking apart the content of it, the show was beautiful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I said in our very first episode that I think this is the most beautiful television show that's ever existed and now after the the first season... I think unequivocally, it's the most beautiful television show that's ever been produced. I mean, it was absolutely stunning. And and in fact, I mean, there were some times you could tell computer effects. A lot of those scenes were a little, to me, reminiscent of how some scenes in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy were shot. Right. So whereas you could kind of tell, it also kind of felt like there was some continuity in it. That being said, I thought most of the effects in this were better than anything Marvel's putting out right now, for sure.
1: I gotta agree, there were no awkward seams or, you know, zippers being seen, for lack of a better term, in any of the episodes. There might have been a small bits here and there, but nothing to the point where it was like, alright, now I'm totally out, my immersion is totally broken. Just on all of that, every aspect of that, like I said, from the sets to the set dressing to the costumes to the makeup to the cinematography the music I think everything was perfectly done
0: yeah I think my biggest gripe and it's a very small gripe I wish we would have just spent a little bit more time flushing a few things out a little more thoroughly
1: you filthy hate watcher
0: I'm a hate watcher (laughs) that thing I just described I'm also okay with letting my imagination fill in the gaps A lot of people don't like that stuff. They want to be fed it. And, uh, you know, for me, I can kind of go, you know, this makes sense in my mind if X, Y, and Z happens. And those aren't really critical things for me to see for this story to happen. It's nice, but they're not critical for me to see. And they were trying to be, I think, very cognizant with connecting this to the literature, and let me be clear, because I think the biggest gripe from the Tolkien fan community is the it's not very canonically accurate at this point in time. It, it seems out of sync with Tolkien's canon, but as I've consistently said, I think it's very in sync with Tolkien
1: thematically. Yeah, the themes are the same. Each step isn't necessarily the exact same, but again, like we both said before, Tolkien was not writing this as a story. He was writing this as a history to kind of know where to put his footsteps at. And if you just splash that onto the screen, it's not going to be exciting. It's not going to be fun to watch. Yeah.
0: I mean, I know a lot of Tolkien's estate has said he would have hated the trilogy. I think he wouldn't like this. And the whole thing is, while he didn't give his stories, I do think there was a lot of intention in the history playing out the way it does in his writings. But I don't know that that necessarily makes good movie or TV, or it doesn't necessarily lend itself to the visual arts. And you and I are on the same page. I'm cool if you mess with the canon as long as I like the story, I'm involved in the story. And for me, stuff not being exactly in line time-wise or character-wise with what he wrote I'm okay with it, because I'm digging this story. And I'm cool with them trying to create a fluidity between this show and the Lord of the Rings trilogy.
1: Yeah, I think it makes sense. And I think that homage directing definitely has its place now. I think that, you know, a lot more directors have to do that because there's so much canon out there that you're walking on a minefield every time you turn on a camera. You have to be able to maneuver between, you know, different factions of who's doing what to create your own vision with it and not just to do that but to make it entertaining, which at the end of the day as we've been saying is really the only true purpose of entertainment is to be entertaining.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the people that are like really heavy into the Tolkien literature and just accept nothing other than that. One of the things I believe you suggested in an earlier episode of ours was there, there's people that haven't read the, the literature. We wanted this podcast to be for those who've read some of the books and those who haven't. And we want to hopefully fill in some gaps for you, give us some theories and, and give you guys some of our thoughts And I think those people aren't even taking into consideration the people that haven't read it. And one of the things you and I have been discussing this whole time is, hey, hopefully this will encourage them to dig into some of that. And I think even with our podcast Facebook group, we're seeing people, because I keep asking them, hey, what's your story? Where are you connected with Tolkien? And some of them are just like, the movies. And now I'm starting the books, or I'm rereading, you know, I, I... I read them once. I want to get into them a little bit more. I'm rereading them. I've been thinking about getting into the Silmarillion or the repeated one. I started the Silmarillion. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Right. It's dense. And that's one of the things. That's why we want to go through the Silmarillion on this podcast and do a little read along with, with some of the listeners. So maybe we can connect them with the literature, too. So I I think there's some gatekeeping going on, in my opinion. And it's fine if you don't like it, but it feels like it's a little gatekeeping because I'm totally cool if people are only connected through the movies because I
1: think that a lot of people will want to explore
0: the literature.
1: Agreed. I think that it's short-sighted to complain It's not to say that you have to like it, but I think it's short-sighted to take people that, like you said, haven't read any of the books and have only come into this world through visual medium and crap on a show that's enjoyable for them because it's not true to the books. I just read Jurassic Park a couple months ago. That movie's nothing near the books. Has anybody ever complained about that? No, (laughs) because there's not a huge fandom for it. The bigger the fandom, the more likely it is to be toxic about some things, which is a bummer because it makes it harder for new people to come in. But I think that, again, like, our show's been a little bit of an oasis in some ways, as far as we are nerds of it in a way that is more, you know, open to interpretation and open to new people in it. And honestly, I think that's the only way to be, because we all just want to be happy, man. We all want to have fun. Let's just have fun. Life ain't worth living. If ain't living good. Mrs. Saduk knew what she was talking about. <laughs> all right. Well, now we should probably talk about the
0: episode. That would probably be a good idea. (laughs) So, season finale starts. We've got the stranger, Meteor Man, as we've been referring to him throughout. He's walking in the woods, and he
1: hears somebody, and he goes looking, and it looks like Nori. Yeah, he calls out to her, even. Yeah, he's starting to learn language Oh, he dropped his apple, and that apple looked so good. It didn't have horse slobber on it, like Easelders did. It looked <laughs> delicious. And then he dropped it, and then Nori comes and snatches it up. Wait a minute. It's not Nori. It's the Pale Trio.
0: It's the David Bowie sorcerer, sorceresses. Very, very ambiguous type beings. We don't even know what they are. But yes, morphs into one of those beings, the one with the staff. And then we're like, oh my god, the duel is about to
1: happen psych city we're here to serve you oh dark lord sauron yep that was uh ban what an interesting cold open that was my heart kind of dropped there whenever i saw it i was like oh that was quick and i'm not sure that i believe this (laughs)
0: especially watching in the group it was like well that was quick but i gotta say everybody in the watch party i don't think anybody was like i'm sure that's right Everyone's like, that's not Sarah. Come on, that's not Sarah. But the show has done a really great job of making us go big portion of this seems like Gandalf. But also,
1: some stuff makes him seem like he could be a bad guy that has amnesia. There were a lot of hints planted everywhere, man, and I think they did a good job. They did enough to obfuscate the truth. With characters that so many people already know, you were never going to get true surprise there was never going to be able to be a true twist it was only going to be able to be a certain number of characters so i think they did really well with what they had
0: yeah we'll come back to that but that's kind of where the the intro scene goes into and i mentioned this in our group and it's something you and i haven't really discussed but the intro with like the sand pebbles and that beautiful music and i believe howard shore did the intro intro song and Bear McCreary's done pretty much everything else is my understanding of the music composition. I really like that song, and I don't know what I thought about that intro at first, but I really like the intro to this show. I think it's a touch Games of Thronesy inspired at least, but I like that idea of the shifting sand and it's shifting into all the different emblems of the different houses, races cities etc however they divide up you know
1: in middle earth that is pretty interesting it's just the shifting sands of time almost yeah
0: and then you have this black sand kind of snaking in the middle of it so at first honestly i don't know that i thought much of it but as the show's gone on that introduction has really grown on me and i wanted to mention that because we haven't said i don't think a word about that introduction so then after the introduction then we get galadriel and Halbrand taking their horses to Oregon, And I just have to say, absolutely beautiful landscape shot of them just booking it on these horses with that mountain in the background. And it, man, it was a stunning looking shot to me.
1: Yeah, it really was. It was gorgeous. And them riding just hell for leather and he's collapsed on the horse. I mean, again, they've done a great job of portraying what they were trying to portray without having to say it. And that was one of the really good parts of them doing that. And then they, uh, they, Get there, Halbrand is getting healed, and then there were some issues with gil Gallad, and he was done. He was like, alright, we're all leaving, because we're all gonna die. I'm the boss, you're doing what I say. And then Elrond's like, you owe me! And he's like, no I don't. <laughs> but they did give him enough time to work with the mithril a little bit longer. And then Halbrand gets up, he's fanboying a little bit with Celebrimbor, and helps him solve the mithril problem, basically.
0: Yeah, and two things in there. One, just Galadriel showing up, and we had Celebrimbor and Elrond kind of in shock. But I like Elrond was in shock for a second, and then it was just kind of like, I knew she'd be back.
1: Yeah, of course you are. (laughs) If anybody was going to just show up randomly, it was going to be you.
0: Obviously.
1: (laughs) Speaking of, real quick, have you seen any of the hilarious memes about Disa and Elrond and Durin, where Dísas like this is my husband Durin and his boyfriend Elrond.
0: <laughs> it's the chemistry, man. They had the chemistry. I did like that. I was very curious what the reaction to her returning was going to be, and then Gilgalad, the whole he's just a total dick about it.
1: Yeah, he was hugely smarmy, and again, it doesn't make him look good.
0: Yeah, but I do think he looks better in this episode than he has any other. So I think there's an upswing. But we'll get to that. And then Halbrand. So this, I think, was the start of the giveaway for most people. And this is one you don't even necessarily... You don't need to be familiar with the literature to be like, How is this peasanty human talking to Celebrimbor, who is the smithing king of the Second Age? He's like, he's the man. Of the second age when it comes to smithing. He's the greatest smith of the second age. And really probably the second greatest smith of the first age. Behind Fanor. So I mean he he has a legacy. And this peon human is like.
1: I don't know how you can make that work. He tries to pass it off like it's Galadriel. Like she says something and he's like. Aha light bulb. And it's like wait a minute. You were already thinking that buddy. Well and he does this thing that's great. Where he's like. I might be a little naive. But I've got a thought. Hear me out. (laughs) Yeah. And that was a little sinister almost. Kind of the look, the way they lit that scene. That was a nice little foreshadowing. But I
0: I think that was like the first tip off. Because like I said, you don't have to read the literature to know that Sauron was a dude that was able to forge stuff. I mean, his whole M.O. is I made these rings to control people. Obviously, that's a thing he's really good at. Um, But as I've mentioned in previous episodes, he was a Maiar who served under Aule, who was the smithing Valar, or god for lack of a better term. So he's learned. He's learned all this stuff. And so that's like kind of our first giveaway that I don't think that other
1: guy was Sauron. But it did kind of open the possibility of real Sauron fighting fake Sauron. (laughs) It was like they meet up in the Southlands and then one guy is just a good looking human guy. The other guy is a Gandalf looking dude and they just clash. I honestly, I was a little excited for the thought of that, but then, you know, the rest of the episode happened, but uh, that was actually a pretty interesting thought. Yeah. So then that's where
0: we kind of get our first giveaway. And the name of this episode is Alloid. And that's when they have that tiny piece of Mithril, that Durin threw to Elrond on his way from being banished from Khazad-dûn, and they know for a fact that the Mithril can extend the life. I don't even know exactly how to describe what's going on there, but their essence, the elven essence, by being in proximity to the elves.
1: Yeah, that still hasn't been made 100% clear, I don't think, because the trees are still falling, but they're making rings to put on elvish fingers. Like, are they just going to hang out by the tree? I wasn't 100% certain how that was going to work.
0: So, I think what I was understanding, and this is kind of another, this is where, I'm getting a little ahead, but this is where Galadriel finally starts putting the pieces together, was when Celebrimbor brought this, he said, crown, so that way it's circular, then it kind of turned into Nikolai Tesla a little bit. He's like, if it's circular, it perpetuates the magic in the ring and it just continues to build and build and so i thought that was interesting how he's describing it but then we realize he's gonna scale down from a crown to a ring and and we kind of saw where that was going but my understanding was he described it as embracing the power of the unseen world so embracing this magic part of the realm in a way that the rings are so powerful that they maintain the essence of the elves. That was how I understood it. And that was her, Galadriel's understanding, because I believe Halbrand, no, Adar said the same thing about Sauron wanting to embrace the power of the unseen world. So that's where she goes, wait, I've heard that before. And it was Adar who said that, why he wanted to defeat Sauron and not support Sauron. So what I think's going on there is just that it's a power... You know, we know how powerful the One Ring is. I think as a viewer, we don't really comprehend the power of the other rings, but I understand they are quite powerful, and the Elven Rings are quite powerful. So I think that's the concept, is they're powerful enough to maintain the essence of the Elves.
1: That's interesting I had not put that together with what Adar said. It's interesting that that's kind of what sparked her suspicion, because I hadn't drawn that connection back and forth. Then we go from there to the dying king in Numenor and he's gonna let everybody draw him and we get Aarian and she's doodling him out and while she's doing that he starts talking to her he basically wakes up out of his sleep and he calls her Muriel and he says that the old ways need to be restored and then he starts to have a little bit of an attack and she has to get up and run out (laughs) because she thinks he's dying. And that part was a little strange to me, I think, because if you got a dying king, I think you'd have somebody standing by to make sure that he's comfortable. That was a little weird, but it did give us the super cool trope reveal of him getting up and not being in bed. And then he goes to the door, the secret door, and unlocks it and tells her she needs to go up and look. And then she pulls the covering off of the Palantiri. And then that's where that part cuts out. And then we never see any of that. We never see her again. In this episode. And the next time we see him. Spoiler alert. He's dead. It begs the question of what she's going to see. What she's going to do with it. Is this part of what's going to destroy Numenor? Because if I recall correctly. She's not a character in the books.
0: No. Ellendil has two sons. So she essentially replaced one of the sons. And I'm not sure why they would go that route. But I I have a thought that because Ellendil wants to maintain the old ways. And we get some of that in this episode. But I wonder if. His daughter seeing these images is what kind of solidifies his belief.
1: Well, I wonder if they made her female and had the connection with Arpharizond's son, and those two were going to basically come together, and that's going to be the fall of Numenor. And they're going to show us a scope of the fall of Numenor based on what she saw, what she convinces him to see, and they've raised people up against the ruling class and then there's a you know a revolution of some sort or whatever. That's what I wonder.
0: It'll be interesting to see it play out. One thing in that scene I want to go back to is the king, when he's talking about the Palantiri, because at first I was like, what is this dude even talking about? Because he's like, I can't tell what's happening, what's going to happen, and what has already happened. I can't, I've looked too long into it and I can no longer differentiate from the past, past present, and future, essentially is what he said and so he's referring to what the palantiri did to him and i want to take this back to lord of the rings and take it back to denethor the steward of gondor who in the movies and in the books he's not likable (laughs) because he's in a very deep depression that depression is deepened even more by the death of boromir in fellowship of the rings But, backstory on Denethor, Denethor, actually a badass and needs to get more credit for it. He had been using that Palantiri to keep an eye on Sauron and on his forces. And that's what Saruman was doing too. A friggin' wizard was corrupted by Sauron by looking through the
1: Palantiri. Keeping in mind that wizards are not humans, they're spirits. Denethor is a human.
0: Yeah. Now, was he corrupted? In a sense, yes, it aged him very quickly, made him extremely depressed and a little crazy, but he was able to use the Palantiri to keep an eye on the forces in Mordor and refuse any of the sway that Sauron had over so many people. So Denethor, although it morphed him into a bit of a piece of shit, he was also a badass for a really long time, and he was able to actually take one of those tools that essentially everything Tolkien does is warn us about these powerful tools because there's usually a bad side to them and he was able to use it effectively unfortunately led to his demise but not his people's and he was actually able to use it to protect his people in a sense so I think there's a cool correlation between what the king was talking about and Denethor and Denethor who gets crapped on a lot even though If you look at his backstory, what brought him to there, he's actually kind of a badass.
1: It's another trope of power corrupting, I think. Whereas with him, he was able to withstand a lot of the effects of it at the cost of his, like you said, his sanity and ultimately his life. So we go from there. This is where Gil Galad starts scolding Galadriel. And I wrote, not a good look, considering she's here to save your ass. (laughs) He definitely came across as super arrogant to me in this part. I understand his thought process, but he did not look good in this bit. They're talking about a new kind of power, which again, power corrupting. This is where this corruption starts again in a different manner. And then it's a power over flesh. And, you know, Halbrand kind of is kind of like, ooh, that's that's an idea. You know what I mean? And that was another kind of giveaway, I think, that, all right, well, this guy's going to end up being Sauron.
0: Yeah, but when... Kill a Brimbor with all that hubris. Man, we're talking about how I think his portrayal is wonderful. He really seems like a hero. And I don't mean that he's a villain, but he seems very heroic. But he's just so full of hubris and excitement. I mean, it's Dr. Frankenstein. Or to reference Jurassic Park, you know, you thought you could. Did you ever think that should you, though? And Gilgalad kind of is like, that sounds like a lot of power. And you want me to have it. Yeah, that sounds like a tyrant. That sounds like a terrible idea. And so this is where I think while Gilgalad comes off very cold and somewhat unpleasant, I do think he, by standing up to that idea and being like, I don't think that's a good idea. I, I think that's a terrible idea. And that's when he's kind of like, we're all going to die. So I'd rather us die than do what sounds like you're describing
1: he definitely did not come across the best but i think that like you said he was acting as a counterbalance to kelle being like now nah, we'll just have power it's all good baby <laughs> there's definitely a lot of nuance amongst the portrayals of these famous historical characters that we've never really seen before and i think that's a good thing i think that rather than get this just overwhelmingly stale upright cardboard performance we're getting a lot of mileage out of these characters and discussing them a lot more than we would be if they were just okay well they just say what they say in the books and whatever so i think that the actors and the writing i think has really injected a life into these characters that i wasn't sure was going to be there that was one of my biggest concerns was how are these characters going to look and sound in a visual tolkien-esque world and still be entertaining and still be fun to watch and this has been fun to watch this conflict has been fun to watch. Kinda of back and forth. As much as I don't really like how Gil Gala treats Galadriel, and I I think he's a little over the top with her, but there are probably reasons for that and we've got four more seasons to find out.
0: Yeah. Well, and who knows how the tide will turn on some of that. And we saw with the Harfoots in very convincing order able to kind of change their identity and it didn't seem forced. So, I think we can see that in Gilgalad.
1: I think it would make sense for that to happen, and I think he could pull it off, especially with like I said, with all the great actors and the great acting going on there, that there are a lot of turns that could still happen. It's just in the scope of this season in a lot of ways he was kind of he was one of the antagonists for a lot of the characters here, I think,
0: yeah, absolutely,
1: so then we got that, and then we go back to. The Stranger and The Trio. And when I watched this the first time, spoiler alert, I actually watched this and took notes over it before the watch party so I could just enjoy it. I had the subtitles on, like I always do, and all of these characters have names. The Dweller is the girl with short hair. The Ascetic is the one wearing the veil, and the Nomad is wearing the helmet. And then they basically decide they're going to tie up the stranger and they're going to force him to control his power. They're going to teach him and they're going to hone him into this weapon of destruction and this weapon of power. And then the the Harfeet come across him and they go to save him. And wait a minute, there are two strangers and they go to free the stranger that's been tied up. And it turns out he was the dweller and she had shape changed into him. That part was awesome. Yeah. The visuals on that part were absolutely amazing. Yes.
0: Looked very good.
1: And then there was a a little bit of a fight here. Sadik gets stabbed right in the tummy tum. And the stranger, for lack of a better term, ends up kind of coming back to life and saving them all. That was a really, really basic overview. If you haven't seen this bit, go back and watch it. Because every bit of this, it had a little bit of that horror. Had a lot of tension. Everybody thought everybody was going to die. You know, we thought the stranger was a bad guy. Nori comes up and is like, no, you're good. And convinces him that you're not actually what they think you are. And he's not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he's actually a good guy. And he says that I'm good and zaps him with the staff, which was a really cool callback to, you know, wizard staves and the power of them from the trilogy.
0: And I would say that's some of the stuff we've been seeing in our group. Cause we were like, the first time he used magic it turned his hand black, then he had to freeze it, and somebody had mentioned maybe a staff is like a source of energy through which to display that magic as they went from these they went from these like celestial beings to having living bodies and you know maybe there's a an adaption period of learning how magic works with this body. And I think grabbing that, well, they didn't grab it, Nori gave him the staff.
1: Yeah, Nori picked it up and ran it to him.
0: And I think that makes that conclusion somebody in our group had. I think that rings true, that they need some sort of mechanism, some sort of tool to kind of funnel their magic. And I I like that concept. I think it's a really cool idea. One other thing is as he realizes his good self, the trio who he's battling, they yell, Oh, crap! It's not Sauron, it's the other guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the Ishtar.
0: Yeah, and that was a cool that was a cool little Easter egg. Ishtar, because those who've watched movies only, I mean they're gonna read it online soon, but they wouldn't have known what that was necessarily. And those of us who've read through a lot of the stuff, we know that's the wizards, which we find out laser. But but it was a very, very cool little throwback before he zapped them into the either.
1: Yeah, just zapped him off into creepy little moth or butterflies that flew away, which was a super cool visual, and I think that's how they're going to come back, you know, wherever they end up, because those characters aren't gone for good. Those are very, very interesting characters. I gotta say, I wrote here that Gandalf and Sauron, both being Maiar, might be what confused the trio, considering that the stranger is, you know, more than likely Gandalf, or a Maiar, he's an Istar, which are Maiar, And Sauron is essentially the same thing. I think that that confusion was kind of a cool little story conceit. And I think that that was a cool way, like I said, of just obfuscating the issue enough for this finale to make the reveal of Halbrand as, spoiler alert, Sauron, (laughs) interesting and fun.
0: Yeah, I like that. I I thought it totally made sense. It's these, like I said, celestial beings who have come to Earth. You know, they clearly haven't actually met them. In their human or living form, is what I should say, since they can take, or at least Sauron, can take different forms. I thought that made sense. One thing, too, when he zapped them into the ether, which, God, that scene was awesome. Every hair on my arm was standing up. And I didn't even watch them. I was watching on my computer because we did the, the, the group. I'll go back and watch that on the TV. I mean, absolutely had goosebumps. It's been a long time since a scene in a movie or TV show gave me goosebumps.
1: So that was awesome. But also when he zapped them, they looked like the Nazgul. They did. And that was it's funny because I was looking up all the hate online after I watched the episode the first time just to kind of see what was out there. And that was one of the biggest complaints. And I thought, what are you complaining about? That was awesome. Like, it looked so cool.
0: I don't understand that complaint, especially if this is the power that Sauron eventually learns to control this otherworldly power that he's trying to funnel into the One Ring with his living being, I think it's cool. I don't know what they are or what they're going to end up being, but I'm very, very interested to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see the rest of their story and how it plays into the rest of the overall story. Yeah, because I'm with
0: you. I don't think they're gone. They
1: were too cool to get rid <laughs> <laughs> was of. Like They looked way too cool to just zap after like two episodes of meeting them. One of the things I wrote on this is especially the actress with the short hair, just the way she walked was so creepy and inhuman that even when they weren't talking, they were horrifying. It was like, Oh, I don't know that I want any of these people around. You know what I mean? And I, yeah, she did such a great job. Just non nonverbally. verbally.
0: And, and like, even when she like, I don't know, gets falls or knocks to the ground and she doesn't do like, you know, the soup traditional, like superhero landing, They do this weird thing where they kind of like kind of twist at a weird, like almost into a really awkward yoga pose.
1: Yeah, almost serpentine. Yeah, so it's
0: like not superhero esque. It seemed very snake like.
1: Yeah, sinister. Very, very sinister. And then at the end of this scene, uh, the staff is destroyed when he wipes them out with his energy, with his magic, and then turns out Sadik, who had gotten back up after being stabbed in the stomach, and was helping them fight, and stabbed the nomad in the foot in her foot in her hurt foot with her own knife actually was hurt and wanted to sit and watch the dawn rise as he died which was very sad and kind of kind of brought a tear to my eye i was like i don't want Saddock to go i like Saddock. he he redeemed himself
0: i the season not liking him at all and then the last like two episodes really liking him and being intrigued to see where he went but actually it was a really sweet death if that makes any sense even mentioned you know the misses will be waiting so, a heartbreaking ending there.
1: And then we cut back to the Numenorean ships. Muriel is still blind. They're home. They walk out, and everybody is hushed. And, of course, she can't see, and we can't see because of the camera angle, but the black banners are out. The king has died. I thought that bit where they cut to the fallen king in his bed and then ar kind of looking at him with a not-so-pleasant look in his eye was definitely sequel bait for the next season because I think Farazan is going to be especially with Muriel blind it's going to be kind of Farazan and his son and their faction against Muriel and Elendil and his faction but spoiler alert his faction is not going to include his daughter because I think she's going to be on the other side with our Farazan. and I think again like I said earlier that's going to be Kind of the fall of Numenor, that's where the revolution, for lack of a better term, is going to happen. And that's going to preclude them getting too involved with the rest of the Southlands and Mordor and all of that, which is going to play into how Mordor grows in power.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think this ends in a good spot because I think next season is going to be a lot of family drama. I think there's going to be some really great parallels between the dwarves, and the humans of Numenor.
1: Oh, I didn't think about that. That's a good idea. They set
0: it up real nice. And
1: I think while there was a good
0: chunk of bits in Numenor that didn't work, episode three was the Numenor episode. And it was not a great episode.
1: Yeah, by itself, it could not hold an episode. But now that there's going to be some drama, how's that going to play out? I think it'll be better. Because episode three
0: didn't work because they were just like, hang on, let me get this tome and start reading you exposition.
1: (laughs) Let me tell you about this tree. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so
0: I think what we're going to get moving forward is in the great reviews where they hate us because we've mentioned Game of Thrones. But this is our Ferizan has his shot to maneuver uh, for power because not only is the king dead, but the queen regent is blind and in trouble. And he's kind of been the go to guy. And I think he's going to leverage that in a way to force her to his side. So I think there is going to be some really good, interesting drama unfolding in Numenor while also building this massive army.
1: Right. Well, we've also seen that as much as he pulls the strings of power in the throne room, he's got that kind of dictatorial capability to rile the masses up in whichever way he wants. And I wonder if that particular trait is going to be a big part of what plays into this conflict. Because if it's Elendil... I think the sailors follow Elendil, and I think the soldiers probably follow Elendil. And I think he's going to be on Muriel's side. Our going to have to go elsewhere to the people? And how many more people are there than soldiers and sailors? And what is that going to do to their culture and their civilization? I think that plants the seed for a big, big conflict. And it also makes sense as to why, okay, well, now we know who Sauron is. Now we know where he's at. All we got to do is just go take our giant great army and go wipe him out. Oh, wait, we're fighting a revolution at home because our queen's blind. It kind of helps give it that conflict as the seasons go on. Yeah, it'll be interesting
0: to see how it plays out because in the literature, Numenor goes to war and it's, (laughs) it's such an ego thing because at that point in time, spoiler for those who maybe don't want to get a heads up on the literature, ar is in charge, and the reason he goes to war with Sauron is not because Sauron's bad. It's because Sauron declares himself the leader of all men. So very arrogantly, ar like, I don't think so, bub. That's me. So that's, that's why Numenor goes to war. So obviously we've already started to kind of get away from that. But just a heads up for everybody, too, because there's a two year gap we're, we're looking at roughly for season two to come out, which sounds like a long time. But I think that's a lot of shows anymore taking these big gaps because they're really investing in them. But just a heads up, there is another Tolkien book called The Fall of Numenor coming out in November. But let me be clear, it's not really new What they are doing is taking all of the stuff about the second age, so the age the rings of power exist in, and they are condensing it into one book. So, those of you interested, this November, the fall of Numenor, really pins down the history of the second age for you. And if you can't tell, we maybe gave some spoilers, but the book is called The Fall of Numenor. So it's not like
1: they're really hiding anything. Yeah, it doesn't exactly turn out well for the Numenorians. So after that, this is where Galadriel has decided, I'm going to find out exactly who Halbrand is. And she calls over some random guy and is like, <laughs> go into the library, find me some paperwork on the Southlands Kings. Now she's worked up about it because he's tweaked her suspicion. And then we get this crazy just vision dream sequence combination where she's kind of she's realizing who he is that he's sauron and she went back to her brother to that opening bit where she was at what was it the stream Mm -hmm. in valinor Mm -hmm. where her brother is talking to her and she's like you're not my brother and then they're back on the raft and man the raft part here was so evocative and so well done there was the camera kind of pan where it was them standing on the raft and you're looking down at the reflection in the water and he's Sauron in the reflection.
0: The Dark Lord and the Lady of Light, you know, in that reflection. One thing, I believe last episode, I demanded to see Hal Brand's papers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> looky, looky. Now we're finally looking into <laughs> the paperwork. He's not a king. I'm just saying, you got to have your papers, man. That's that's Those people are crazy. Small town, middle earth folk. They don't know no
1: better. No, there's a really powerful line here where he says, save them or rule them. I see no difference. I thought that was kind of a cool little bit of, you know, just kind of showing what his character is where it's the same thing.
0: You know, I think the best bad guys, I don't necessarily think we as the viewer think they're good guys, but the best bad guys think they're the good guy. And I think Sauron thinks he's the good guy. I'm ruling you because you can't be trusted to rule yourself
1: right if you look at how crappy humanity was to each other there was a little bit to be said about that you know what i mean they made it ambivalent enough that there are people that it makes sense why people would want to join with him but that part where he kind of grabs her chin and there was that really really epic tension of you know be my queen and man that part was great just breaking it down can't do it justice that was probably the best filmed and acted scene in the entire show
0: Yeah, it was really great because he also, like, blackmails her. Then he tries to convince her he's right. I also want to point out, once she figured it out, she tried to attack him. And all we have seen through this entire series is Galadriel kicking everyone's ass with ease. And he just manhandles her like nothing. I mean, it's not like there's a big fight, but he just stops her and she just can't do anything
1: that did bring up an interesting point before we move on from that part because again we can't do it justice guys if for some reason you're listening to us and haven't watched it go watch it because that part was awesome it did bring up a little bit of a point to me about his return because Adar said he killed Sauron and then we got Meteor Man and he falls from the sky did Sauron also fall from the sky wreck a boat and that's how he ended up where he was at, which, A, plays into that whole Luciferian vibe that he's got. He's very much kind of falling from the sky, Luciferesque, which is kind of why the whole Stranger reveal, but then turnaround worked as a red herring, because that's, in a lot of ways, what that story was. But also, it explains why he was where he was and how all of that happened. Because when we looked at the beginning... I think at the first episode, we said, how are these people just floating so close to both Dumanor and the Vale of Valinor, basically, Mm -hmm. and just hanging out? You know what I mean? They just kind of showed up there. And I think that could make sense as if it was just a random boat of people that he fell into and then smacked him and said, hey, I'm in charge. Just follow along in the hopes that, you know, some crazy blonde elf is going to swim up and we can (laughs) do some stuff.
0: I'm cool with not ever finding out. I like the mystery of it because we know there was something. I don't need to know what it is. And the story you just played out, I don't mind imagining whatever that was. We know he showed up under mysterious circumstances.
1: Right. I like that. I would bet that they're going to play something out visually, but even if it's just in um, flashback, But I I think they're going to play it out. But like you said, I don't think it's necessary. I think that he's here and that's all that really matters. And it's a bad thing.
0: Yeah. And I will say Halbrand slash Sauron, he gets very angry with Galadriel when she's not falling to his suggestions, which obviously he's not used to happening. But also he goes off and we get the first eye of Sauron in his eyes. He gets those snake-like eyes, which is very, very cool because he's kept his cool through so much of it. And that's kind of the story. I think this whole series, we're going to get a cool cat, Sauron. We're not going to get the Dark Lord from the Lord of the Rings where he doesn't talk and he just bashes skulls and sends armies and stuff. He doesn't have that ring of power. So he doesn't have that kind of mechanism, that tool to elevate his power to be in a place where he can defeat armies by himself. You know, so now he's in this phase of his rise where he's got to convince people to help him and trick them. And I think us, too, with getting those three ladies that we're looking for, and we don't need sorceresses, whatever they were, you know, one of them's a shapeshifter. Sauron's a shapeshifter. So don't be shocked if, if next season Sauron takes on different forms, different names, I think we might get some cool stuff going on with this
1: character. Yeah, that'll be interesting, especially with Deere and Bronwyn's story being left so far up in the air. And he's pretty close. He's pretty close. The South folk don't know yet.
0: They don't know. There's
1: nobody telling them. So he might just come get... Adar's the bad guy. That's all they know. That's their bad guy. He
0: might just come in and, and snatch up the South army and go after Adar and the orcs. And so that's kind of what I think is going to happen. They don't know. They don't know he's Sauron yet.
1: I wonder how uh, he'll interact with (laughs) Arendir. You know what I mean? Since he had so much trouble controlling Galadriel, he managed to convince her. But whenever she wasn't open to suggestion to it, it was done. And I wonder if that's going to parallel something with Arendir. And that's a part of how he splits with Bronwyn and Bronwyn ends up on the bad side, maybe. I don't
0: know. No, I think that's interesting, especially we've talked about how stoic Erendir is, how much Erendir is our kind of Aragorn-Legolas combination character. No, I think that could be a very interesting dynamic. I'm I'm anxious to see how all that stuff is going to play out.
1: I think they've done a great job with everything else so far. All the storylines that paid off have paid off very Satisfactorily, in my mind.
0: Yeah. I think two things uh, that I've been reading. You know, I think there's been some gripes about the reveal of who we think is Gandalf. We still don't know. We never get any of his names. Uh, We just know he's a wizard. We just know he's an Ishtar. Yeah. And as Mason, uh, who's a friend of ours from not only school, but was in the the watch party today, mentioned, he's like, couldn't they have just said a color of (laughs) Ishtar? just just a color <laughs> i think some people were annoyed by the bait and switch and i think they were annoyed that halbrand wound up being sauron they're like it was so obvious it's like well literally everybody's been debating this for 8 weeks is one of them sauron is one of, or is he the witch king or is he the, the king of the the
1: dead army or like for weeks yeah we were leading really hard into the king of the dead army for quite a while i mean we were we were bamboozled to a degree now i think theo is one of those two things well and i think that's part of the greatness of it is we've got theo and his connection to all of this and we still don't know who he is and who he's going to end up being i think that they've done a good job of planting these seeds and obfuscating like i said you can't take a story that is so set in stone for so many years and change literally everything. You have to take what you have, you know, you have to cloak it in fog enough that people aren't one hundred percent certain who it's gonna be. And that's what they've done. And they've done a good job with it. Yeah,
0: I think my whole thing is what did they want revealed? What did you want revealed?
1: Was it just gonna be like nobody? Like Adar was gonna just like poke up and be like, Yeah by the way I'm Sauron Yeah the end I like the idea
0: of maybe we haven't met Sauron yet, but I also think the way they revealed the wizard and the way they revealed him as Sauron were executed very well. So enough that any part of me that maybe wanted them to just had this inkling that maybe there's somebody else that, you know, just might shock me. I didn't care. The delivery was there for me. A hundred
1: percent. There was enough question that a, it powered this whole podcast, but it also powered people forward enough to be discussing it because if there was no discussion, That would make sense. All right, there was no whatever, blah, blah, blah. It was obvious, blah, 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 blah. But there was. There was debate and discourse every week. So we could complain about it all we want, or maybe it didn't turn out the way we wanted, whatever. But to say that it was too obvious is malarkey. Because everybody that says that was also debating who it was going to be, right along with all the rest of us. So I I don't buy that argument.
0: Yeah, I liked it. Liked the delivery.
1: So then we go to the next bit, and... The Harfootses are being nice to each other. Now that Krusty old Satic is dead, which still makes me sad.
0: We did miss a part where she came to. Uh, so Galadriel came to after her dealings with Sauron. And it's Elrond, but she's all, you know, waking up from a hangover, ready to fight, not trusting that it's Sauron. So she's finally got this, like, maybe I shouldn't trust everybody thing that, honestly, she probably should have had the whole time. You know, it's easy to say in retrospect... Literally like hundreds to thousands of years without that evil. Even believing that evil existed. Complacency. You know, I think people get complacent. I think elves probably get complacent. And uh, they let their guard down. But now her guard's back up. She's ready to fight Elrond. Elrond tells her, hey, this is how we met. So she goes, okay, it is you. But then they go back with Celebrimbor. And they're talking about, instead of a crown, to make two rings. And then Galadriel said, no, make three. One ring will corrupt whoever wears it. Two rings will divide. Three rings will unite. And that's where we get the three elven rings. And this is some canon stuff, because technically the elf rings were made last. So we didn't see the nine human rings, seven dwarf rings, and the one ring. So there's a couple things. Were those already made? I don't think they were. It's possible, but that seems silly not to see them made. But... The elven rings have a different power because Sauron did not make them. He was not involved in making them, but he still has some sway over them because it was his, as he called it to Celebrimbor, his gift of knowledge on how to make them. So because of that involvement, he still does have some power over those rings, which I think is really interesting. So this is the part I thought was a little rushed.
1: The making of the rings is just like, Uh, here's rings. We need your magic knife. That part kind of kicked me in the gut because she had to give up her brother's knife. So that was kind of sad. But also, if you notice, whenever they drop the mithril in and it starts to swirl, it looks just like Sauron's eye from the trilogy, which was pretty epic looking. Yeah. I thought that the individual little bits of it were cool, but the discussion of it probably could have went on longer. And the heart, the ending for the heart could probably have been a little shorter. That dragged just a touch.
0: <laughs> it was like the ending of return of the King,
1: <laughs> right? It dragged just a little, but eh, all in all, I think it's interesting. One thing I want to bring up is she mentions that three rings would be the most stable. That's actually a big motif in Dune since we spoke about that earlier, of the trio as far as politically being the most unstable of elements, because all it takes is one person going off on their own to completely bring it all down. I just thought that was kind of funny.
0: Well, I think you get the Holy Trinity in Christianity. You've you've got the executive congressional and Supreme Court in the United States, the base of your government. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of things where that three and power come together
1: it makes sense and i thought motif wise it it was good and of course that i mean that's canon so they had to go with that but i just thought that was kind of funny this will be the most stable will it
0: <laughs> why not five why not 25 i don't know
1: <laughs> i also one of the notes that i wrote was man these elven rings are gaudy i just cannot see gil Gallat wearing a ring with a fist-sized ruby on his hand all the time it says uh
0: super bowl champs Second age,
1: thousand fifteen or whatever year it
0: is. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> Except I imagine the dwarves win that that Super Bowl every year.
1: Right. Sauron Bull Champs. <laughs> but I mean other than that, mean, I like that part. I thought the like I said, the actual forging bits were kinda cool, beautifully done.
0: I do like the slipping in of the eye in a lot of things. You know, we saw it when who we think is Gandalf landed. We've seen it with the forging of the three rings. So obviously we're we're kind of diverting course a little bit. That was one of the questions. When were the other rings made? Technically before the Elf rings were. If you're going on canon, so it'll be interesting to see where we go. But yeah, the Harfoots. We got Nori taken off with the. Uh, we're just calling them the wizard because they're dropping fat hints that it's Gandalf,
1: but they didn't say everything it. in this ending bit was a hint that it was Gandalf. <laughs> And so there still could be,
0: it still could be a blue wizard.
1: It's about a a 1% chance, (laughs) but it's possible. It's possible. This part made me weepy because everybody else was so weepy. There was a lot of emotion to it. I was actually kind of hoping that Poppy was going to go with them whenever she ran up at the end, but she didn't. She ended up staying with the, you know, with the group, which that's fine. I'm kind of
0: glad they diverted and didn't necessarily make her the Sam to Nori's Frodo. To me, it might be a little too... Kismuddy, you know, where like, ah oh, man, Gandalf just keeps going on adventures with Hobbits. <laughs> I, I mean I think it's a cool callback. I think this is a really great way to pull in those non-readers of Tolkien who know the movies. I think it's a really great tie-in. And it's not that like, man, Hobbits are always on adventures with Gandalf, but I think it's like, oh, this is why Gandalf trusts Hobbits so much. And I think they did a really great job of doing it. So once again, it's painted heavily because they're getting ready to go and our wizard has now regained his ability to speak. Nori doesn't want to wave at her family because she's afraid she won't be able to leave. And he says, well, then I guess you should take the lead. She goes, well, I don't know where to go. And a really great scene. And he goes, well, we should go that way. Is that the right way? Well, I don't know, but it smells better, you know. <laughs> when in doubt, follow your nose, which he says to Pippin and the Mines of Moria... Where he couldn't, oh yeah, because he sits there and he just couldn't for the life of him remember what way to go to get through the mines. And then it dawns on him, this way smells less bad. (laughs) So, you know, we get that call back. And literally in our chat for the watch party, the second that happened, like everyone just wrote Gandalf. It's Gandalf. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it was a wall of Gandalf text.
0: (laughs) Like all at the exact same time. So we're all, everybody's in the world right now is very convinced That that man is Gandalf, and they are off on their adventure, and then we end with Sauron taking a look over his soon-to-be kingdom. They did some good framing on that shot because there's some shots from the original trilogy where you see Barad-dur, his tower next to Mount Doom, and the way he's standing, it, it silhouettes him. So he kind of uh-huh. looks like his tower with Mount Doom right there. I thought that was a really cool shot. I think they did some really great throwbacks. I think that's it. That's where we wrap up. So I guess I'll ask you this, Jared, What's your overall thoughts? We'll do a whole breakdown. We should probably do a follow-up on like a season breakdown. Just what we thought overall. But what's your two-minute thoughts on season one?
1: I thought season one had its ups and its downs. Overall, I give it about a B or a B plus, just because, like you said, there were some just glacially slow parts. But at this point, everything is well-established enough that I don't think we'll have to have any episodes like that again. And I think that as a foundation for an overall series, I think that it did a great job. I think that they learned as they went. And I think that with the positive feedback from the fandom... I think that since they're basically filming now, next season's going to be 10 times more epic, to my mind. I think that they found their footing, and I think that moving forward, it's going to be pretty damn good. What about yourself?
0: I'm in the same boat. I'd probably rank it a little higher just because I, I was really excited each week to get to watch it. And we're in the golden age of TV, and I have some pretty firm rules with my TV watching. With comedies, you get about three episodes. If you don't suck me in, I'm out. Dramas, I'll give you four or five episodes because I know we got to build and I'm out. With the exception of really one episode that I just, I want to say I almost just flat out didn't like, episode three. With the exception of that, I was really, really excited each week to watch it, to talk about it. So I would give it a low A. I do think it had ups and downs. I do think it was a little exposition heavy, but man, do I think they wrapped up really nicely. I thought they were gonna have to rush more than they did. I, I felt some slight rushing, but I feel like they pretty adequately wrapped up all the different
1: threads. They wove some nice mysteries. I still think there's some mystery about. They've left enough mystery for us to keep coming back. It's not all a told story.
0: Yeah, we have the the sorcerer folks who we don't think are gone. We still don't know for sure who the wizard is and what he's doing. You know, we don't know what's going on there. So I think there's a lot of mystery left.
1: Well, I also think that we've got a lot of conflict left, which is going to be the biggest driving force because we've got, on the bad side, we've got Adar versus Sauron. And on the good side, we've got Farazan versus Elendil. And Durin
0: versus Durin.
1: Durin versus Durin. The war to settle the score. (laughs) So I think we've got a lot of conflict left to push forward and to have an engine to drive this story forward in addition to you know rewriting the canon probably from the bottom up but that's okay you know what I don't mind well I'll say
0: this the showrunners have stated season two is probably more the canon everyone was expecting in season one so they maybe were just trying to paint this start that was that gave us some mystery And that maybe now it'll start lining up with the canon a little more, even though there's some things that people are still going to be mad about, like a wizard, especially if it's Gandalf. Some people are going to be mad, even though it just makes sense from a storytelling position if we're connecting this with the movies.
1: There are more people that watch the movies than have ever read those books. And that's that's not a knock on the books at all, but visual mediums like this are easier to consume for the average person than books are. That's just the way it is. And
0: Tolkien's not for everybody. We said that episode one. He can be dense. So I'm looking very forward to this next season. And I guess we got like a two-year gap, JR. So what are we going to do?
1: Well, we've talked about breaking down the Silmarillion. We've talked about possibly reading through some of the Unfinished Tales which I think would be an interesting idea if we could get some of our listeners to sign up. We could do a one-ring tabletop role-playing game short playthrough that might be fun. I think there's a lot to plumb in this fandom and in this lore that we could be talking about just a little less regularly. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: folks, that's kind of our goal is, is maybe once or twice a month do some book read-alongs where we'll do we'll cut the books up and, and read them. Summarize them, have discussions on them, and maybe we can get some listener involvement. We're going to get into some of the games and some of the other pop culture stuff. Some of the cartoons, maybe after we read the books, get into the movies. So there's, there's this huge world of Tolkien that we want to keep this discussion going, keep this community going. As I believe it was Ali said today in our watch party, I'm just happy there's a group of nerds sharing this together. That's what we want. So as we leave this season finale of this season, I think definitely beat both of our expectations of what this show is going to be. For sure. If you're listening and you haven't yet, please join the Facebook group. It's getting bigger, but we have some really nice discussions. It's a really non-toxic place to talk about Tolkien. We're very open to, if you haven't read the books, perfect, jump in. Maybe we can coax you into reading some of the books and following along with us. I think that'll be really fun. But we really want to keep this, this community going so in the two-year gap we can still talk about why we love this writer and, and his works.
1: One quick thing, actually two quick things. One, th- You told me an interesting little tidbit earlier that might have shed some light on some characterization, had we known it beforehand, about the person who played Hal Brand, Charlie Vickers, from his audition. What was he asked to read at his audition? Oh, it was Paradise Lost. Such an interesting thing to have him yeah. read. He knew. He knew from yeah, the beginning. he had to
0: read a book about Satan. And there was definitely some some biblical, you know, there's the apple. Apple being handed. There was, he was very loose for esque, Join me because I'll make you better and you'll make me, you know, yeah. very, very good stuff.
1: And then we've got, I want to shout out the members of the group that did the watch party with us. We had Mason, Allie, Stacy, Christina, Ed and the man known only as the stranger.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. But, uh, we had a lot of fun. And that's something we'd like to do more, uh, I think, in the future, if we can. It depends on what streaming services have what and if they have a watch party option. But we'd probably like to do some more of those. So join the Facebook group. Send us an email if you have a thought, concern, and to top this off, we know some people are going to come late to this show. You know, some people have been waiting for the season finale, and now people are going to binge this show. Do us a favor. This is a huge favor. Whatever podcast app you're listening to, if you haven't already, can you kindly put a review, whether just mark the stars or you can write a little tidbit answer honestly. We got some people giving us one star, some people giving us five stars. Just mark it up because this helps with the algorithm. If we can get some some reviews out there of the show hopefully those people that are now binging it are going to find our show and listen along with us. So JR, aside from this, what else you got coming up? You got your book written. Now what?
1: Got the book written. It's probably going to be another six months to a year before it's even readable because I've got to do so much work on it but that's all right. Other than that man, I'm taking a few days off gonna keep right on trucking with the scary movie train and that's about it what's going on with you my friend
0: same we're working through through our scary movie season on my other podcast front row flashbacks uh we're gonna be talking about the original hellraiser next week gonna be talking about creep show so we've we've got some some good stuff coming on our way that's it that's it and and trying to dig more into the this world of Tolkien. right on well everybody we hope you enjoyed this season As much as we did, even with all its ups and downs, we enjoyed interacting with you, our listeners. So we appreciate your listening ears. And for all of us from this podcast, we'll see you all in the front row.